The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and so here's how we're going to do this. Uh, I am going to read uh, our passage for us. We're in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 to 13, but we're going to do something a little bit uh, different this morning. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, I'm sorry. 4 to 13. I was like, you can't do 14 to 13. I was looking at my Bible, that did not work out so well. Um, or 4 to 13. So, um, here's what we're going to do. Uh, I just want to put this on your radar. Um, as we are working through these passages, and de- depending on how this goes, we may do this into the future. As you have questions, I know that I am not going to be able to do uh, address every question that comes up. As there are questions that come up directly related to the passage that we're looking at, if you would like to ask those questions after the sermon, we're going to do a little bit of an open Q&A time. If you don't feel comfortable speaking in front of other people or feel like your question's embarrassing or just a little bit like something you don't want to be tied to, you know, get in trouble for, <laughs> or however you feel about it, you can text that question to this number. Um, that number is an undisclosed person whose initials are Jay Morris, and um, that uh, he will gladly... Um, speak those, those uh, questions on your behalf, but I hope you feel the freedom to be able to just ask your questions however you, uh, they come to mind. Um, I will just reiterate, they have to be related to the passage we are talking about. So I'm not going to answer the question, did Adam have a belly button or anything like that? You know, And yes, he did, because that'd be gross if he didn't. Um, so we're just going to put that out there, because I want to make sure that as we work through our text, that as a spirit is bringing up questions, we're able to think through those together and grow together in loving Jesus. So, with that said, we are uh, going to read our passage, pray, and then get right into it. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 13. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healings by by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles by the another, uh, working of miracles to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit... We are, were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this passage and consider what does it mean to be people who are filled by your spirit, I pray, Lord, that as we talk about the spiritual gifts and what that means for us and what your intention and heart for them is, I pray, Lord, that we would be filled and empowered by your spirit to love your church and to love your mission, and to love the way you love. So I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Um, we are just going to jump right into the passage because I think that the, the passage itself elicits our interest kind of at the face value. Um, if maybe you've been around Christians or maybe you are a Christian and you've kind of experienced these weird moments where Christians will say things like, well, I felt like God told me. Or they start kind of um, maybe praying in a language that you don't quite understand and you're kind of like, what is all this weird stuff going on by all these Christian people? <laughs> or maybe that's you. And that's, this passage is all about that stuff, kind of like all the weirdness stuff that comes along with being a Christian sometimes that people will use as weird in weird ways. And we are going to kind of work through that, that, this passage because, yes, there are strange dynamics or uh, surprising dynamics to a life in Jesus. Um, and spiritual gifts often become a bit of uh, a way of excusing uh, weirdness, but there's actually a purpose behind them that God's given them for, to us. So some of us, like last week, we talked about being um, spiritual but not religious as kind of like a bit of like an escape of being able to say, I don't really need to submit to Jesus, but I can do spirituality on my own terms. Um, this passage kind of back ends on that and says to those who would say, I can do my own spirituality in the name of Jesus on my own terms and get away with it and kind of says, uh-uh, that's not the way this works. Um, because often what happens within the spiritual gifts and specifically for Corinth, they were used as a way of abusing um, others within the church. There is a bit of a power struggle, so to speak, or um, a way of being, uh, excusing pride and arrogance <laughs> and self-serving dynamics, um, self-serving realities and saying, oh, well, the Spirit gave this to me, or this is a part of the Spirit in my life. And um, it, is, uh, it is a way, so to speak, the Spirit does not like that. It is a sort of um, when somebody at work takes credit for your job, you know, or your work, um, when we use the spiritual gifts for our own benefit and our own exaltation, uh, we are taking what the Spirit has given us and uh, taking credit for His work. So... Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to say, here's the main point of the passage, and we're just going to start breaking it down as we work through it. Right? Are we, are we good with the screen? Main point, the spiritual gifts empower us to love our church with the Spirit. Right? The spiritual gifts empower us to love our church with the Spirit. Or you might say, we should desire the gifts that empower us to love what God loves. Um, that's kind of another way of saying that main point. We should desire the gifts that empower us to love what God loves. So we're talking all about the spiritual gifts this morning, and this is uh, chapter 12 and 14, talk in detail about them. Um, as a heads up, there are a couple of gifts of uh, the Spirit that we are going to do whole sermons on later, so you'll be slightly disappointed that we don't get into all the details this morning, but we are going to just start out here with verses 4 to 6 and look at how the spiritual gifts empower us with triune grace. Spiritual gifts empower us with triune grace. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. We're going to just pause there. We're just, it is, uh, what we talked about last week is that there is this, this critical word that keeps getting used through this passage called charisma, right? It's a Greek word. That's the gifts, wherever you see the kind of like this gifts word, that's charismata is the word that's there. That's where the word charismatic comes from. People talk about being charismatic. Well, it just means a grace gift. That's, the, that's the, what that word means. It's a grace gift, which means that it is a grace gift from somebody who is gracious and is giving. And so then we have to ask the question, 
whose grace. And we see behind this passage as we look at it, um, Paul, when he begins to address the church and talks about how God has gifted us and saved us and brought us into his family, he almost is in a way, like can't help himself but talking about the Trinity. Like, do you notice what's going, the, the words that, you see, we talk, talk, started at the back of the verse, verses here, verses six, the same God who empowers, um, when Paul uses that, so chapter one, verse three, he talks about God the Father. When he talks about God in this way, like 90% of the time, it's the first person in the Trinity, God the Father. And then you, you just back up here in the same Lord, like verse three of what he just said, identifies Jesus as the Lord. And then here we have the Spirit. So it's kind of like, just kind of like subtly, just kind of like, well, when you're filled with the Spirit to do the work of, of Christ, who's giving you exactly what the Father wanted you to have, like he can't help himself but talk about how grace comes from this triune God who invites us into the life of the Trinity. And that's what the grace of God does, is that it invites us into his presence and fullness and life. So we have to ask the question, why does Paul, when he is addressing people who are abusing spiritual gifts, right? They were using spiritual gifts as a way of kind of like building their own platform, right? I've had, remember last week we talked about how like whatever you're the, you know, you go to the temple for Zeus or Artemis or whatever, and you have this incredible spiritual experience. And that kind of like becomes like a merit badge where you're like, now like you can kind of like puff out your chest and like be better than other people, right? So if that's the way people think about the life of the church and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like, I've got the gift of tongues. Look how, look how like important I am. Or I've got the gift of prophecy. And look how important I am. And they're using these gifts in a self-serving way. When Paul comes to correcting that pride, why does he swing towards the Trinity? Just, is it just kind of like, hey, just remember the God card? Like, is that the way it is? I think that because if grace in our lives comes from a triune God, that grace is inherently unselfish and others-focused. Because you members of the Trinity all delight in each other. The very, the very nature and dance of the Trinity, so to speak, is the Father delights in the Son because he's the perfect image of himself. And the Son delights in the Father. And that delight between them is the Holy Spirit. And this non-heretical way of describing the Trinity, it is this delight between these three persons in the Trinity. They, they are gifted. They are one. They are distinct. And they love each other. And so if that's the origin, so to speak, of any grace in our lives, when we take that grace in our lives and say, I'm gifted for leadership. Yeah, you've got to do what I tell you to do. We're inherently breaking the very thing that was given to us, right? Like, I don't know if you remember um, Buzz Lightyear in Toy Story 3. He has this hidden default feature of speaking in Spanish, right? And like, it's very incredibly funny and all that stuff, right? And in contrast to his default features, you have all the other toys, like the bad toys, who are trying to like make it all about them. And they're, you know, um, what is it? Fluffy or the, who is it? Lotso. Yeah, like he's like a twisted toy, right? Where he's like all trying to make it about himself and domineering over the other toys. Bill, the granddad in the room, you know? <laughs> right? The default setting of spiritual gifts is others-focused because it comes from the giver who is himself inherently triune God without creation 
others focused, right? So when Jesus says, I'm giving you these gifts to empower you for the life of the church and serving other people, when you take a gift and say, I am so good because I have this gift of leadership or I have this gift of prophecy or I have this gift of tongues or I have this gift of administration and now I'm going to look down on other people, you're inherently breaking the default settings of the spiritual gift, right? So that's why his way of addressing pride with the spiritual gifts is not just kind of like, oh, well, the Bible said it's wrong to be proud. He's actually talking about the gift themselves and says it's against the very nature of the gifts to be proud and having them. The nature of gifts is to celebrate and use those grace, those graces in you to serve others, right? It is a delighting in other people. I'm not sure how many of you follow, um, I, I would... A caveat to this illustration is to say, I only know about this because it went viral. I am not, uh, I don't actually keep up with Miss World beauty pageants, <laughs> like as a course in my life. But this is the moment, um, sorry, there, there's so much that I enjoy about this picture. Uh, I'm not going to frame it, but I'm tempted to because of the ways in which I enjoy the illustration uh, in my office. But this is Miss Jamaica just winning the Miss World, whatever that is. And this is Miss um, Nigeria celebrating over her. And the thing that I find so beautiful about this picture is that here is a woman who has just lost this very competition that she's been working for years towards. And she uses all of her gifts and all of her personality, which is obviously very her, to celebrate and to lavish blessings upon this woman who's just beat her out. Right, who's just won the competition. Right, there is within this picture to me a celebration of what, this, what our spiritual gifts are designed for. They are supposed to be used to be others focused. They aren't, yet. you could see, you could imagine Miss Nigeria, right, being like sulking, like I just lost, right? But here she is, if you watch the video, I mean, it's like incredible. She's like jumping around and like, I mean, yeah, Pentecostal. Like, you would never see me doing this, right? Like, I'd be kind of like, hey, good job, you know? Like, I'm really excited for you, you know? <laughs> but very much in her own way, celebrating and enjoying, but using her gifts to celebrate somebody else and to build them up. All right, we can take that picture down so we're not continually distracted by Miss Nigeria. But I think that is what Paul is getting at here with the spiritual gifts. Before we get into what they are in terms of the details of this gift, this gift, get this, this gift, he is saying the very nature of your spiritual gifts and how you are gifted is for the sake of others. So if you're gifted with administration, it's not just so that you can get your life all together. If you're gifted with leadership, it's not just so that you can get a focus on your life to get on your own terms. If you're gifted with spiritual insight in other people's lives, it's not just so you can kind of take care of your own house. It's actually so that you can tend to and care for and celebrate and encourage other members within the church as well. Your gifts are about you being transformed into a gifted, selfless person. This triune grace is actually the antidote, antidote to self-serving gifts. Often our gifts tend to be the ways in which we get proud, right? Well, if people just wouldn't, if they would just do this or that, why can't they just do this or why can't they see that? You have the intellectuals in the church that are like, why can't you guys get your books and your theology in line? And you've got the emoters in the church that are just kind of like, all your dead theology never raised a heart to life. <laughs> you know, actually, you guys should be talking to each other and growing together, right? Often our, gifted, our gifting 
is our biggest temptations to pride because we still have within us this innate desire to take the default settings of God's gifts and twist them for our own purposes. The, hem- the central heartbeat of gifts is others, and the pathway for your transformation into an others-focused, gifted person is a gracious invitation into the life of the Trinity so that you're not proud, but there's a little bit of like a humble confidence in your gifting, right? We don't want to be neurotic people. <laughs> Am I being proud with my gifting? No, we want, we want to be confident but humble at the same time. So we're going to move on here now to 7 to 10. The highlight, this is what everybody's been wanting to get to, right? You're just, I just want to talk about tongues. Um, spiritual gifts show us the Spirit's expansive grace. That's what we're going to be looking at next, right? So if this is the nature of, of the spiritual gifts is their triune grace and invitation into the life of the Trinity. Now let's talk about what does that look like in details and terms. Spiritual gifts show us the, spiritual, the Spirit's expansive grace. Let me read this for us, and then I'm going to make a few comments about this list before we get into the details of the list. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the one Spirit, to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Let's pause there. This is a list of the spiritual gifts. There are nine gifts mentioned here. If you are familiar with other lists of the spiritual gifts, uh, Romans 12 has seven gifts. The end of chapter 12 that we're looking at, we'll get this in the next few weeks, it has eight. Ephesians 4 verse 11 has five spiritual gifts mentioned. And then Romans, uh, 1 Peter 4 verse 11 has two spiritual gifts mentioned. The point is, there is not actually like, they didn't, the apostles in the New Testament church didn't have like a list of 20 church spiritual gifts like this is the list you know i don't know if you guys have ever done like one of those like spiritual gift tests yeah (laughs) so those are uh maybe not exactly the point of these passages because like there's certain gifts that are not mentioned for example like visions (laughs) we just go to the extreme paul's visions at the end of first second corinthians 13 those are not mentioned at on the list of spiritual gifts suffering the fruits of the spirit celibacy and marriage which in chapter 7, are explicitly called out as spiritual gifts are not mentioned. So this is not exhaustive. Paul is actually picking up at this point on a list that they would have used as like, here's all the extraordinary things in the Spirit that would build up my reputation. And he's kind of taking them with this Trinitarian definition and just kind of like cutting the legs out from underneath them, right? This isn't exhaustive, but it's a very kind of like focused, unique situation that he's addressing with Corinthians. So with that said... Let's look at verse 7, and we'll kind of get some polls for defining these terms moving forward. So the polls that we're going to see here, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit or a showing of the Spirit. So D.A. Carson wrote a commentary on, verses, on chapter 12 through 14 of this book, First, and the book is entitled Showing the Spirit. It's fantastic. If you know D.A. Carson at all, I mean, it's just kind of like intellectual brain, just and it's just great, fantastic on it. So, showing the Spirit or manifestations of the Spirit, showing what the Spirit is like, that's what that might mean. To each of us is given a showing of the Spirit, manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So, you kind of got these two poles. You've got a showing of the Spirit. So, a spiritual gift must show what the Spirit is like. And that when you're talking about the Spirit, you're talking about in 
in coordination with the, tri- with the Trinity. So selfless, giving, others-focused, delighting, celebrating. Other side of it is common good, right, for the common good. So a spiritual gift must be triune, showing the Spirit, must be for the common good, right? So, um, so for example, uh, gambling would not be a spiritual gift. No comment on that as a practice, but just say gambling is not a spiritual gift, right? Or uh, being a discernment blogger, not a spiritual gift, right? Not for the common good, not evidencing the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So with those things in mind, when we look at this, we're going to now begin to kind of dig into this list. And so this is probably where a lot of questions are going to come. Hold on to those. We'll get to those at the end. I'm getting a little bit, by the way, I'm getting a little feedback in the microphone. Are you guys hearing feedback? Okay, sorry. I don't have the spiritual gift of sound management. Okay. So, first one that we look at here, chapter verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. Let me just say this. When we talk about these spiritual gifts, the difficulty of defining them is that they're really kind of like only mentioned here. And so you really, you have these two poles and then whatever the words mean is kind of like understanding the spiritual gifts. Prophecy in tongues, you've got a little bit more evidence for across the board, but some of these are just kind of like, this is the only place they're mentioned. And so we're just going to work with what we got in terms of the words. So here is my best guess at what the utterance of wisdom is, given those two poles that we talked about and what the words mean. The utterance of wisdom is a spirit-led, a spirit-led counsel for a life shaped by the gospel that is given through the study of others in prayerful dependence on the spirit for their good and the upbuilding of the church. Right, we'll get to the utterance of knowledge, but uh, it's, slight, it's very similar but slightly different. So the utterance of wisdom, the, the use of wisdom all through the beginning of this book, you, you see specifically chapter three, Paul is talking about what is the nature of God's wisdom? The nature of God's wisdom is shaped by and oriented around the cross of Christ. Not, you know, what's the, the latest fad book on self-help on the shelves at Barnes Noble or even the best philosophers at SNU. It is shaped by the cross where, where Jesus, against all odds and against all expectations, dies on our behalf. As the strongest man who's ever lived, he dies in weakness for the good of others. And so when it comes to the gift of the Spirit, that is the utterance of wisdom, I'm thinking that it's a Spirit-led counsel for a life shaped by the gospel because that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is a life shaped by the gospel, by God's designs around the, the death and resurrection of Christ. Why I'm saying this is given through the study of others is to say, we look at this list and we expect them to be spontaneous. But there's nothing about this that requires it to be spontaneous. Like there's nothing about the utterance of wisdom that in terms of the rest of the evidence of the New Testament that it is on the spot. It can be. It can be like, oh, I think this might be something that God has for you. But it could be as you are praying for others and in, in, in your life together as a church, we, we can you know, maybe come to the point of saying, you know what? I, I think as we're praying for so-and-so, maybe this is, maybe this is a, a category to be thinking through in, in your life and following Jesus. Now, that's going to sound very mundane, and many of you are going to say, like, well, that happens all the time. Right. 
because whether you're a cessationist or continuationist, the spirit still gives spiritual gifts, right? doesn't really matter that when you begin to kind of define them and understand what they mean, I think the spirit still gives these gifts. And so the utterance of wisdom would be studying and thinking through what God would, is having for other people and how their lives can be shaped to follow and show Jesus and his death and resurrection and studying them in prayerful dependence on the spirit for their good and the upbuilding of the church. So, for example, I was at a, a meeting a few weeks ago with um, some pastors, and one pastor has kind of been going through some personal changes. His theological dynamics have been changing, um, and as a result of that, his theological dynamics have been changing towards seeing that his life and the life of their church needs to be shaped by the gospel, um, a cross-shaped ministry where they are dying for the good of others, like giving their lives for the good of others, taking social stands on issues that are not popular for the good of others, engaging in the ministry of the church in their community in a way that is self-sacrificial for the good of others. That sounds good. In some ways, that has rubbed some people the wrong way. And so he has, as the pastor, had to endure multiple people misunderstanding him, having their minds changed, and leaving the church. So here he is. I've built this church. We're 200 people strong, and now people are leaving because they can't understand how we're trying to reflect Jesus in our neighborhood. And kind of bemoaning and mourning that. And so another one of my friends at the table comments to him and says, you know, man, like, I think that the very thing that you are beginning to grow in and the pain of that is actually... Um, what it means to have a cross-centered ministry, to be misunderstood, to be maligned, to be mistreated, to be abandoned. That's actually what Jesus' self-sacrificial love was like. So actually the very things in which you're growing in and now complaining that other people don't understand about you is the very context of what it means to embody that. And this guy was just kind of like spirit-led in the moment and it just he was like, I hate you right now because that totally makes sense, you know? You ever had that experience where somebody is just kind of like, they bring a perspective to your life in Jesus and you're just kind of like, I do not like you because now I have to go and pray and repent, right? I think that's what the spirit of the utterance of, spiritual gift, the utterance of wisdom. And then to kind of match it, right? The utterance of knowledge, a spirit-led understanding of truth, truths or truth for a life shaped by the gospel that is given through the study of others and prayerful dependence on the Spirit for their good and upbuilding of the church. The reason I had these both on the same slide and together is because they're kind of like, they're very similar, right? Wisdom is how do you understand your life and life decisions? Truth is maybe something that comes into play that you hadn't really considered before. So, for example, this last year, and working through some of my own growth and dynamics in Jesus, some of it very carefully and very helpfully just said, Jacob, I don't think that you actually think God enjoys you. And drew me to Zephaniah 317, and that kind of became like my champion verse for the year because it was like, I don't think I, at a functional level I had this truth in my mind and in my heart, but I think that it was a spirit-led. Again, some of these things are going to be like, well, that sounds like very normal and non, not surprising. There's things that go from the very mundane to the surprising, and we're going to kind of work the spectrum because the Holy Spirit likes to work both sides of the field, right? <laughs> mundane too surprising. So we're kind of tracking with utterance of wisdom and utterance of knowledge. We're guys all on the same page. We're cool. Okay. We're going to go to the next one on the list. 
the gift of faith, the spiritual gift of faith. So just to, out of the gate, just to make sure that it's clear, spiritual gift of faith is different from saving faith. Universally, saving faith is birthed by the Spirit so that somebody believes, trusts in, and enjoys the forgiveness and resurrection of Jesus, right? So that is what faith is. I've got Jesus. He's got me. This saves me. The gift of faith is very different. The gift of faith would be circumstantial and unique to a certain situation. So you see this kind of playing out kind of implicitly through the book of Acts, right, where they kind of make decisions and like, okay, no, 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 the Spirit's leading in this direction or hold out the Spirit's going to be doing this or that very much kind of like focused on specific situations. So the gift of faith, a spirit-led conviction that God will reveal his power and act on behalf of his people in a specific way for the good of the congregation and the advance of the gospel, right? So again, remember verse seven, our, one of our controlling poles is for the common good, right? An act of faith is not if I give $10 to the church, God's going to give $100 to my bank account, right? Or, Lord, won't you give me a Mercedes Benz, right? <laughs> like, that's not the gift of faith, right? The gift of faith, if it's played out in the book of Acts, often has a mission advance focus to it, right? Um, the gospel advancing, the gospel being planting new churches. So, for example... Um, in my life, I don't have the gift of faith. I don't think I'm much more of a cynical person, and which means that I am more of a repenting person related to my cynicism. Paul Buckley at the church we were planted from, King of Grace, I think he has the gift of faith. So he was all through the way for the last six years that we've been planting. He's like, no, God's doing this. God's in this. He's with you guys. And I find it so annoying. The gift, people who have the gift of faith generally, like not like annoying kind of like get over it already, but just kind of like annoying, kind of like, yeah, I know you're right, sort of annoying. Like Paul, like, I'll be like, this is what's going on. Like, I don't know if we're going to make it. And he's like, Jacob, God got you there. Like he's building the church. He's going to be doing this slowly and over time. And he's transforming lives and get over yourself. <laughs> you know, like God's doing this. If God's for it, then what is, what are you worried about? And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's annoying. Now I have to go back and repent for being unbelieving and all that stuff. But it's specific situations, right? So it's not just kind of like, well, in general, I know the gospel is going to advance. In general, I know that God's going to work in these situations. But it's also trusting that God is the one who's going to do it. Right? A, spirit, a spirit-like conviction that God will reveal his power and act on behalf of his people in a specific way does not mean that my idea of what is going to happen has to be the way it plays out but trusting that God's the one who's going to take care of the situation because if he doesn't, things aren't going to turn out well, right? Is that kind of making sense in what, how the gift of faith is? Specific situation, um, often connected to missions and the advance of the gospel. The gift, uh, let's go to the next one here. Um, for to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another the uh, utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. Verse 9 to another faith by the same spirit, to another the gifts of healings by the, same, by the one spirit. I'm adding a plural in there because that's critical to the understanding of that word. The English version says gifts of healing. It's actually gifts, plural, gifts, plural, of healings, plural. So it's both of them are plural. And I know that you're like, I'm not like a grammar nut. Here's what that means. It means that there can be various different kinds and purposes and functions of healing that aren't just directly one type, right? So if I just said the gift of healing, well, the gift of healing is only that. But if it's gifts of healings, 
various types of ways of healing in the gift given by the Spirit. So it's intentional. So here's the gift of healing. Here's how I would define that. Various ways by which God reveals his holistic renewal of Christ's salvation and his coming kingdom for the congregation's witness to the gospel. This one is one where you've got more evidence from the New Testament. So you see Jesus healing and you see the apostles healing. Um, frankly, I don't know anybody that's ever been healed by my shadow. Um, that happens to the apostles. <laughs> so that's kind of like, that's, a, that's an outside the, the realm of what's being addressed here. But often when you look at the gospel accounts, Jesus' healings are specifically to show his power to renew is not only spiritual, but physical. So you've got Jesus walking in Jerusalem, and who is it that they request healing? It's blind Bartimaeus. It says, let me see the coming of the king. And so why does Jesus do that? Why does Jesus heal him? It's so that he doesn't just have physical eyes to see the coming of Jesus in Jerusalem. It's so that he has a physical renewal as a part of the, renewal, the, the healing of Jesus, right? So when Jesus dies on the cross and rises again, the power of the gospel is not merely spiritual, so we can have kind of personal devotions. It's renewal so that our bodies and culture and world will one day be renewed physically so that they will be new. So gifts of healings are kind of, so to speak, an echo of what is coming. Right? They are what is coming in the final revelation of Jesus. So because it is gifts of healings, which I, I struggle to say because it's just, you don't say that very frequently, like two plurals like that. It gives us the ability to say, yes, we can pray for healing and see miraculous healings, but that also could include medical healings. It includes the whole span of all of those. God can work through the means of medical treatment and he can work through the means of miraculous healing. So for example, at the beginning of the church plant, um, for maybe about the first six months or so from our sending church, Ken Jury was a part of the church plant. I, you guys might be the only people that remember him. Um, Ken Jury, 12 years previously, had been miraculously healed of cancer, right? Just overnight went in, no can like he was on death's doorstep, no cancer the next day. 12 years later, he dies from the same cancer. So did God heal him or not? Yes, God healed him and witness to the power of Christ's resurrection and the holistic renewal of Jesus through Ken, and yet still Ken died, right? Lazarus in, book, in John 11, he had to be like the worst guy. I mean, had to be the worst ever, right? Died, get resurrected from life. Oh, but you're still going to die. Like, that's got to kind of stink. But it's because the purpose of the gifts of healings is not what's called down magical power whenever we want, but it's to witness to the renewal, the holistic renewal of Jesus. So the point is that we want to lean in on praying for healing, but it is the spirit who gives the gift, and so we don't get to command the spirit around however we want. So I will say this. There is no point in the New Testament where we are instructed to give God the out, like, God, we're going to pray for the gift of healing that you would heal so-and-so, but if you choose not to, blah, 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 there's just a confident request and a submission to the Lord and the Spirit will do what's best. So we'll talk about that more. We'll talk about the gift of prophecy a little bit. We're going to move on to the workings of miracles. <laughs> Doing okay there, Isaac? Okay. 
Sorry, we'll make this a little bit more entertaining for him. We're going to get into the workings of miracles. <laughs> uh, verse 10, to, the, to another, the workings of miracles. Okay, again, like I'm saying, there's not like this phrase is not frequently used within the New Testament, so we have to just kind of come up with what the word means and extrapolate from our two poles, right? The two poles being the other's focusedness of the Spirit from the Trinity and the common good. So here's a definition for the working of miracles, or you might translate this, deeds of power. Various ways by which God reveals their whole... Did I, did I copy and paste the wrong thing here? Yes, I did. That does not count. That's not the definition. That's the definition that I provided of healings. Here is the definition of workings of miracles, and I apologize for this one. The surprising and unexpected work of the Spirit through us and the church to experience the powerful victories of Christ in our lives, either emotionally, physically, or circumstantially. All right, so let me repeat that in case you're taking notes. The workings of miracles, the surprising and unexpected work of the Spirit through us and the church to experience the powerful victories of Christ in our lives, either emotionally, physically, or circumstantially. Here's what I have in mind with that. Healings have been mentioned, and so that's a separate category. And yet there is an overlap between miracles and healings, right? But miracles often show that there is somebody else in charge. And so, what's in view? It may be that the workings of miracles has in view a life or circumstances that do not make sense without Jesus. That might be the workings of miracles. In a powerful way that shows that somebody else's victory is in play. So you read about missionaries. I remember reading a story uh, from Richard Wormbrand about um, in the Soviet communist country where a guy became a Christian. He was a guard within this prison and they couldn't punish him uh, by way of execution, but they just kind of basically hazed him. And so you're talking about like a guy in the Siberian winter being forced to stand outside, and somehow he stayed cold. He didn't get cold and survived the night and being on point for Jesus at barely a jacket outside because of his faith. Didn't free, didn't die to death in Siberia. <laughs> so that's a that's a working of miracle, right? That's a miracle. That's not a healing. That's not something else. But that is a surprising and unexpected work of the Spirit through us to experience the powerful victories of Christ in our lives. Or it may be somebody who has life circumstances that are so adverse to their movement forward in obedience to Jesus. Maybe it's a crazy ex-spouse. Maybe it's a crazy boss. Maybe it's a ridiculous family or life circumstances. And somehow that person continues to be joyful and following Jesus and witnessing to his powerful resurrection. There is somebody else's victory in play there than their own, right? A, that is a miraculous life, you might say, that does not succumb to the circumstances, right? Or people who have experienced extraordinary trauma, whether that's sexual trauma or uh, power trauma, and yet they continue to grow and become whole and to find healing that defies all the odds set against them. That you might kind of throw that under the category of workings of miracles. 
It is submission to and enjoying the surprising power of Christ's victories in our weaknesses. Okay. We're going along here. Everybody cool? We're all tracking? Yes? Okay. We're going to do, we're going to touch on prophecy uh, because we're going to do a whole sermon on prophecy later. So if you're like, I want to get into prophecy, it's like, chillax, my baby. It's going to be, we're going to do it later, okay? So here's the gift of prophecy. Did I get the right definition? Yes. Telling something God has spontaneously brought to mind for the encouragement and upbuilding of individuals in the congregation. You will notice this is not binding. You will notice this is not authoritative. You also notice that I'm not telling you to open the back of your Bible and write them in. However, because God continues to live and move among his people, he does surprisingly bring things to mind that are upbuilding and encouraging and profoundly affecting for people that would not have otherwise come to mind. So we'll talk about this when we get to the Sermon on Prophecy, but I've been in prof- had prophetic words given to me or seen prophetic words where somebody's mail is just read. They did not, nobody else knew what was going on in their lives. The Spirit brings up, here's what's going on, and here's how God sees it and knows what's going on and is speaking into your life. And that person is immediately touched by the reality that God sees them and knows them, right? Sometimes I think the gift of prophecy is, spooks people out because um, they get kind of weirded out by the whole prophecy word in relation to the authority of the Bible. When the realities of what's in view here is just quite simply spontaneous Christian encouragement that we just don't often think of as being the gift of prophecy. We all want to know that God sees us and knows us and hears us. And sometimes the function of the gift of prophecy is just that. And the reality is the Bible tells us that God sees us, knows us, and hears us. (laughs) We just don't hear it that well, do we? And so the gift of prophecy often comes into play to kind of uh, maybe wipe the snow off the windshield, so to speak. Let's get this out of the, get the haze out of the way. It's always been true, but the gift of prophecy helps us see it in a profoundly new way. So it's not really so much about foretelling the future as it is foretelling things that are already true. Is that cool? All right. We're going to move on here because uh, we'll do a whole sermon on that. The ability to distinguish the spirits. Here's my definition that I'm, I'm providing uh, for our enjoyment. Um, did I have the slide or do we not no slide on that? The ability to distinguish between spirits, discernment about the spiritual reality of something or teaching as to whether it is from the spirit or the spirits of the world for the health of the church. So you see Paul doing this all through the first like uh, four chapters of 1 Corinthians, right? And he's actually doing it here. You guys think this is what spirituality is? This is what wisdom is? You guys think this is all this is about? Actually, here's what's biblically true. And you notice that all through 1 Corinthians 1 through 4, Paul like 15 times is making reference to Scripture, right? He's continually swinging back. Here's what's true about the Bible. Here's what's true about Scripture and God's reality. And here's how it speaks into your, uh, the, the spiritual confusion that you're in. So that is why I think that when we talk about the ability to distinguish between spirits... We're not talking about kind of like um, spiritual magic, so to speak, as much as being able to discern, is this really true to Scripture? Because it's not quite clear. Also, there might be dynamics which we're blind to that we need help seeing, and we need to kind of help kind of weaving through what's actually happening. So 
this is not so. This is not a place to go to in validating. Um, as I mentioned before, there's no spiritual gift of watch bloggers, right? That's just not or like discernment blogs, like all that stuff. Like that stuff does not fit within this category. It is insight to the ways we may be out of balance with the gospel in our lives together. So, for example, um, uh, this is kind of related. Uh, last night, Michelle was telling me about this book that she's reading called Invisible Women. And in Invisible Women, it's talking about how society as a whole is built around presuming that people are men and they prefer men in terms of how they design things like how snow removal gets done and all these sort of things and how... Um, I'm not putting Michelle on the spot, by the way. Uh, she was just telling me about this book where it's illuminating how um, women tend to get the, the, get the brunt end of things and not being included in how the, uh, our societal functions are thought through. So with the snow removal thing, it's about how in Sweden they ha- kept having these rates of people getting hit um, on the side of the street because the way they would think about snow removal is that you take care, you start with the main roads and then you go to the, um, the side roads and then you go to the sidewalks. Well, in the country this, this study was done, um, women tend to use public transportation more and they didn't drive cars. And so they were often walking in the streets and getting hit because the snow removal hadn't really taken care of the sidewalks first. Well, the people who designed the whole snow removal system were all men and they thought, well, men, need, we, we, you drive to get to work, right? <laughs> so you gotta get the main roads done and the side roads and the sidewalks. And once they realized like, oh, Women tend to, in this situation, use public transportation. Um, we need to make sure that we're prioritizing sidewalks as a way of getting to public transportation for their safety. And frankly, once they did that, the rates of, of people getting hit by the side of the roads after snow drastically dropped. It's a way of becoming aware of things. So the gift that relates to what I'm calling out is the ability to distinguish between spirits because there is just, frankly, sometimes ways in which we just kind of off kilter with the truth and realities and beauties of the gospel and our life together that we just, we don't see very easily. You know, we talk about power dynamics through first Corinthians. That's, I think that's still a reality that we don't, are not clear on within the life of the church, or we're still working through how do men validate women and appreciate and engage women within the life of the church. So that's why we've got the chaos track. So we got women who are trained and equipped so that they can speak into how we have um, holistic representation. This is not, so to speak, to say that the ability to distinguish between spirits is a punch-you-in-the-face gift. It's a, there's something off here. We need to think through this. All right, we, we tracking? All right, it's getting long. I'm just checking because I knew this was going to get long. <laughs> yeah. It's a list of nine terms. Like, what am I supposed to do, you know? <laughs> okay, we're, we're, we're tracking at 45 minutes here. I'm going to touch on tongues, and then we're going to move on, okay? Because <laughs> we're going to do a whole sermon on tongues. Here's the gift of tongues. Prayer of praise and words not understood by the speaker for the upbuilding of the church. Gifts of interpretation of tongues. The gift is spirit-filled ability to report the general meaning of something spoken in tongues for the good of the church, right? We are just going to do a whole sermon on this, so I'm just going to put a pin in that, and we're going to move on, okay? Here is the thing. As we're working through this list... These gifts are all designed and purposed by God for the upbuilding of the church. So as you're thinking, I want that gift. Are you also thinking, I want that gift to be able to serve other people? Final thing we want to see here in verses 11 to 13, and we're going to pick up on this next week, so I'm just going to say this very quickly, and we'll close out with some questions. Spiritual gifts unify us with the Spirit's purpose, verses 11 
to 13. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one Spirit. So, here's one of the key things to take away from this passage. You don't get all the gifts. Each one gets somebody, somebody gets one gift, somebody gets another one, and you are designed by the Spirit to require the presence of other Christians in your lives in the local church so that you get the full gifting of the Spirit speaking into your life and building you up in Jesus because you don't get them all, right? Even the most gifted among us do not have all the gifts, which means that they require other people, which also means that you need those gifts and other people that often just annoy you, Right? That person's always just so happy. Or they always have an encouraging word for somebody else. Or that other person is just serving their brains out for other people. Yeah, it's because the Spirit has gifted them for that, and you need to be built up by that gift. So you need other people in your life as you are growing in the Spirit, as you are unified with the Spirit's purpose, because the Spirit's purpose is you are all one in Jesus. Here's the logic of this passage, right? The Spirit's will is to give gifts across the board so that everybody needs each other to grow in Jesus. How can you pursue the Spirit? This is the question this passage is asking us. How can you pursue the Spirit, not to consume a gift, but to be, a gifted, but to, be gifted to serve others? Right? How can we embody that Miss Nigeria dynamic in our spiritual gifts, using our gifts to celebrate and help other people grow in Jesus? Spiritual gifts empower us to love our church with the Spirit. All right, so let's pray for those gifts. We're going to pray, and then we'll do a, few, a little bit of Q&A, because I, I, I want to get those rhythms going for us, and then we'll, we'll, we'll continue worshiping. Father, as we have just worked through this passage and a lot of details and thinking through what does it mean to be, uh, what are the spiritual gifts all about, I pray that you would draw us into this reality, that Christ and his strength gave up his power to serve us in his weakness, that we might become sons and daughters of the living God, empowered by your spirit to not be shaped to love like you love. And so, Lord, would you work among us for the empowerment of your people, for the good of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.